Hello and welcome to the Right For Your Life podcast. Today is a very, very special edition of the Right For Your Life podcast for a whole host of reasons. First of all, we are going to try and record video as well. And when I say we, of course, I should say hello to my co-host, Donna Sorensen. Hello. You can't just wave. We have got to actually say things as well. <laughs> yeah, just said hello. <laughs> so um, we really like this is an audio-only podcast, the Right For Your Life podcast, um, and... Um, uh, and, and it shall stay that way, I suspect, after this. But we are going to try and um, and do a video version for this particular episode because Donna's first collection of poetry is being published tomorrow. It is happy publication day to you tomorrow. So huge congratulations. Oh, today, though? Well, I guess. Well, I suppose so, yes. So we're recording this on Thursday and the actual publication day is Friday. So depending on... It'll probably get published around midnight, which is... a. <laughs> So that, that makes the entire minute of conversation we just had completely pointless. But um, uh, nevertheless, you're about to become a published author, which is exciting, is it not? Oh, it's amazing. It's, it's my wildest dreams come true. I feel like Miss World. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so that's exciting. And so, apart from just generally saying congratulations, um, I want to ask you about the process of being uh, of of going from um, um, someone who writes as a hobby to someone who wants to do it um, professionally or to 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 be published because I do think there is a certain change in mindset required um, and also just about the publication process so how it's been and and how you got to be where you are because um, first of all I think people are always interested in that kind of thing how people uh, get published for obvious reasons usually because yeah. they want to do it too. Um, but also poetry. I think it's, um, I think it's, uh, it's a beast of its own. And, um, and, and not a lot of people, lots of people write poetry. Not everyone has poetry collections published and it's notoriously difficult to sell poetry. And yes. um, we may go on to talk about that a little bit too. And maybe, would you, if you don't mind, re- maybe read us a poem at some point as well. Oh, I'd be delighted. Oh, oh, it's such a surprise that you asked me. I'd love to, thanks. So our biggest challenge is, because of course we can see each other, so the biggest uh, challenge here is for us to, uh, is for us to not um, uh, get the giggles, I think. So to everyone that's listening, uh, simply to the audio, I, uh, I apologise for anything. I mean, I can try and describe what the sort of situation. I can say Donna is in what appears to be a bedroom. I think she's probably arranged the camera in a specific way so that... We can't necessarily see all the clothes piled up on the other side of the room, <laughs> and um, and I was I, considering like scattering poetry collections and, and you know impressive volumes of literature around me just for the recording, and then I decided now as long as I'm you can't see too much laundry. <laughs> oh my god! I've just seen a massive pile of clothes. Sorry, hang on, carry on, Ian. <laughs> are, you on are you honestly serious that you didn't realise that you actually you, she's got right? People listen to what she's actually gone up to move. It's far too late. Your bed's a mess as well. I was, I was blocking it. I didn't see it. Anyway, yeah, okay. so we're, we're ready, aren't we? Yes, so the, we're the, that, all that was of no interest to anyone, and I apologise. So, <laughs> first of all, what made you want to go from being... We should say that your your poetry collection is called Dream Country, and it's out yes. tomorrow. I, I can show everybody quickly that's watching on video. This is what it looks like. So it's a, it's a, it's a beach with um, a, 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 what's a very small mountain or a very big rock. I'm not quite sure which. With it's some... just, yeah, very rugged coastline. Um, quite a desolate place. There's some gulls. Um, Seagulls? So, 
I think they are, yeah, yeah. Is there another type of gull or is it just seagulls? Uh, oh, God. There could be loads, loads. Did I ever tell you that I once saw a seagull eating a pigeon alive? No, but it sounds like exactly the sort of thing we should be talking about on this podcast. Yeah, no, carry on. Sorry. Yeah, here's the back of the book and um, with the blurb and everything. That was an interesting process, putting a blurb um, mm. together with a publisher. Because I, I, I don't know, I guess I thought that they just completely, completely do that. But I'm not sure whether it's would be the same with fiction, but with poetry, you know, it's so much about what your ideas have been for a collection that, you know, I guess it's really important that the author has an input in, in what the blurb says about the book. So, um, yeah, so, yeah. Fantastic. So we'll read from that later. But first of all, I want to know how you went from being someone who just wrote in your spare time, just kind of for fun, like a lot of people do with poetry. Like I say, sort of millions and millions of people write poetry. Far more people write poetry than novels, you might suspect. Um, mm, yeah. So what, what, what happened in your brain box to make you go, hang on, I want to do this properly, for once, for a better word? Well, um... Although I've, it's poetry that I've been focusing on in the last few years, I've, I've been writing for a long time. Um, I think I was affected by the people around me. So my mum, as you many of you may know, is a children's author, and I'd worked with children. So I originally thought that I wanted to write for children, and I'd started dabbling in that, and that's what I was writing. And I enjoyed it, but, um, but yeah, it wasn't clicking in terms of publication and things like that. And... I've read a lot of children's books, so at least I had that background to it. So, um, sorry, when you say it wasn't clicking, do you mean you actually got to a point where you had sort of completed um, a completed work that you were sending to yes. agents or publishers? Or? Yeah, so I took some time to seriously focus on it, and I put together um, various ideas, and I completed, like, properly, you know, in, in terms of, like, putting them out in spreads, um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think it was about four or five picture books for children. Um, and, um, I worked a long time on them. I put them to the side and I edited them and, um, some of them I thought were fab and everything like that. And I sent them off to, I used the, the children's writers and artists yearbook and I sent them off to various uh, publishers, um, in the UK, um, and onto the slush pile, of course, and agents as well. I did send them to agents and, um, the response was, you know, overwhelmingly no. Uh, and a lot of the time the feedback, I don't know whether this is just generic feedback they say to everybody, um, that it's very difficult to sell rhyming texts because you don't get the foreign rights so easily on them. And, foreign, you know, with picture books, it's all about foreign rights because that's where all the money comes in. Um, so, but, you know, that is not obviously a problem for people like Julia Donaldson and uh, and the big hitters. So that's why it was obviously just for me, I felt like it just wasn't what they were looking for. Um, but, you know, I know with my mum, the first picture book that she sent off got rejected for a particular reason. Um, and later it got accepted. But I didn't feel that that I wanted to carry on after having four books that I'd sent out to different places at various stages, rejected. So I put that to the side, and I was writing a bit of poetry. Um, and um, poetry I'm quite embarrassed about now, I would be honest. Um, but then I moved to Ireland, and that was where it all changed, because I was suddenly had access to, to writers, to published writers, to poets, um, and just a great literary scene. So I started going to, um, to poetry readings. I started to hear people reading poetry and I actually started to buy poetry and I started to read other people's poetry. 
And it's insane that I hadn't done that before because, I mean, you know, everybody looks on the internet and um, for the odd bit of poetry now and then, maybe they see something and they want to look up an author or find out more about them. But they're always, well, for me, they were always famous people or people that were quite well known, you know, funeral kind of poems, um, just that kind of of poetry. But now I was actually reading normal people that were poets. Maybe they had one or two collections published or more. And um, I got to see the whole process behind working solidly on writing and focusing on it 100% and what it took, you know, especially the editing side of things. Um, and so that's when it all just started to uh, to click for me. And I think the one thing that really, really made a difference was that as soon as I started working on poetry and writing poems that I was really, really pleased with and proud with, uh, proud of, sorry, I didn't want to do anything else. I literally did not want to do anything else. Whenever I had a spare minute, that was all I wanted to do. I was just burning to do it, you know? Yes. I mean, there's a couple of things I would say there. First of all, my own experience with um, being involved with a group of writers, being part of, not not even being part of a writing community, but being in a writing environment, it just completely, well, I guess I went the other way around. So I kind of always had it because I went to university and there was a, there was a creative writing element to my undergraduate degree. And then I yeah. went straight on to the master's course where everyone was really good and it was a real there was real camaraderie and lots of people willing to read your work and you wanted to read other people's work that was fantastic and I got you know I really I had that really instilled in me from from quite a young age um but it actually I, I what I noticed was when I finished the masters so I finished having written about um t- what well, 10,000 words so not much of a novel um, mm. And I didn't have that anymore, and I really realised how much I, I not necessarily needed that that sense of being in a writing environment, but how much um, how much it helped and how much it made me go, okay, that's what needs to be done to take writing seriously. So all that time since then, where I've mostly been writing on my own, I've, it's always been a struggle to kind of just constantly remind myself of why I do it, and <laughs> and it's partly why I do the podcast and why I do all the stuff online. It's to just to be part of something and to keep reminding myself that you know I, I'm I'm a writer in, with a book, and that sounds a bit daft from someone who's had their first novel well, published, but just at all, you know, the everyday. Well, I'm not going to say drudge. Life gets can get on top of you, you know, all your responsibilities and everything else outside, and sometimes I just find it amazing just to say, do you know, what? I'm just going to go and I'm just going to. I heard about this poet and I'm just going to go online. I'm going to find out a little bit more about them, see if there are any of their poems online and just immerse myself back in that world again. And I often find that that's when I actually then I'm like, oh, I just I want to do some writing right now, um, which is great. So, um, so yeah, so I did workshops and things like that as well where I took part with other people. Great to, to be with other people that are interested in writing too. When I say compare, I was going to say compare myself with them when you have a chance to compare yourself with other people, I think that's really useful as well because you can kind of see the different directions that people are going in and, you know, people, you can, I think you can easily see with poetry people who take it very seriously and who have written things and they know where it sits um, compared to other people's writing. Yeah. They know kind of what's current. You know, if, if you're in a workshop, I have been in workshops where, you know, people would sit down and they read a poem like, you know, about somebody and their lovely mummy or whatever, you know, and ring people given a ring and getting engaged and stuff like this. And you just think that's they're writing poetry for themselves. And that's, that's really great for them. because That's what they need right now, but they're not necessarily somebody who is seriously looking at what, what 
poetry the poetry world is doing at the moment and what people want to read about yes so um so um, yes that's a big difference yes but so so you you moved to ireland and you became um you worked at the irish writers center i uh, did did which was where you know where a lot of these readings were taking place there and then i would find out that other readings were happening um and uh, actually performing, that, that's another big thing because as soon as you start performing, if, if people come up to you afterwards, even if it's just one person and just says, I really like what you wrote, <laughs> you know, then you think, oh my God, that's what it's all about. You know, not just me enjoying it, but if somebody would like to hear more or like to read what I've written, then, then surely there, there's something in this, you know? Yeah, and, and I always, I, always um, I don't think I've made this quota, but I think I've, heard someone say it and then forgotten who it was so just decided it was probably me that said it i'm sure it's not true but the idea that you you are what you repeatedly do i think it might be someone like merlin man i don't know but um i um i think there's loads of truth in that so if you when i talk about the switch from being someone who writes as a hobby to someone who does it seriously Mm. again if i think about myself part of the reason i did the ma was i thought well if i'm on if I'm if I've taken the trouble to invest that amount of money and that amount of time on something like that, then I'm kind of that I am on my way. To, I'm taking it seriously. I am. It, it is that there is a difference between doing something like that and um, and and I, and I guess being a hobbyist. I suppose not that there's anything wrong with that in the least. But um, that said, there is a difference between taking your writing seriously by paying for courses, by working in a writer centre, to mm. actually to actually being able to get yourself to a point where you're good enough to get a publishing deal. Mm, Absolutely. And whereas with my experience with writing children's books, I'd had lots of rejections. I don't know whether it was just luck with poetry, but it just so happened that the first big submission I did, which was to a fantastic um, literary magazine called The Stinging Fly, which I would highly recommend to anybody who wants to, uh, to read uh, brilliant contemporary poetry. Um, that submission, a poem was accepted. And that was the first one I'd done. And I think that that made a massive difference to me because that was an acknowledgement. And I'm, I know that it's more difficult with fiction because you're not necessarily, you know, writing short pieces that you can send off to people to along the way towards writing a novel, you know, in terms of encouraging yourself to go on. But with poetry, I think um, that side of it is easier. If you can get one accepted somewhere and a literary editor says you know, this is something which is for them, you know, that, that really is, for me, it was um, somebody saying you're on the right track, keep going. And you, and you can do that sort of thing with, um, uh, with, with prose, because there are lots of literary magazines, there are lots of journals that you can, competitions, that you can submit your short pieces to, you don't have to write anything novel length in order to um, uh, be be published, or, or you don't have to write 12 short stories before you can think about being published in any way so mm-hmm. i recommend anyone to do to sort of seek those things out and and um and, and send stuff off yeah absolutely um but you've um so so you got better you had your first um poem that's what they're called you had your, yeah. <laughs> you had your first poem published and yeah. you were right pleased about it but the, again apart from the, there is what well, another difference there is a difference here between having a single poem published and then writing presumably lots more. I don't actually, how many poems are there in your collection? And presumably you, there were lots that you chose not to put in the collection as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, um, around 50. That's poems. a lot of poems. 
Yeah, there is. And I, I probably as many that, that didn't go in. And I, I always separate my poetry out now into stuff that I would like to submit for publication and stuff that I feel is just stuff I've been messing around with or, or things that don't necessarily have an appeal for other people. Um, but at that time, it was an extremely productive time for my writing. So I was literally churning them out. <laughs> you know, I was just so inspired. And also because it was it was right at the start of the process, I had a lot of things that I wanted to write about. So I had, I was getting up a, a batch for submissions. And, um, you know, if people haven't submitted poetry and are thinking about doing it, then um, or there are probably lots of listeners who already do this. Um, but I would heartily recommend for those people um, setting up like a, your own little database of uh, what you've sent where. Um, <laughs> uh, and now I can't even remember how I've done it, this list, but I've basically separated out all the journals that I would like to submit to. And then I write obviously down what date I've submitted to them and what batch of poems, because it gets, when you're doing it seriously, I mean, you've got poems out all over the place and you can't remember what you've sent to, to journals and things like that. So I've done, you know, a lot of journals um, take submissions four times a year, for example. So you could have submitted a, a couple of times in a year. And it's really important, obviously, to remember which poems have gone where. So um, that starts getting into a very big list once you've uh, you've been putting poems out for a few years to different places. Um, and the same with competitions. So, um, so yeah, so then I, that's, that's really when I started to... Uh, to, to get quite productive I was sending them off all over the shop Right, I want to talk about um, the editing process in a second because I've always talked um, about rhythm I think I even talked about it a fortnight ago on this podcast about mm. how important the rhythm is not not just in poetry but also in prose And yeah. excuse me, but that's also always about um, the editing process so you do sometimes come up with them miraculously rhythmical and lyrical wonderful sentence first time but actually mm-hmm. most of the time especially then if you want to try and make a, an entire paragraph have the right rhythm it's all about mm-hmm. editing and losing syllables here and there and all the dum 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 mm-hmm. business mm-hmm. um so with poetry obviously it's i would imagine even more well not, not even more not necessarily more difficult but certainly much more important because you're so exposed you can't hide you can't hide. You can't hide in a couple of duff paragraphs. It always, no. you know, this. It's everything is. Um, if you pardon the phrase, it's all balls out. Um, so, um, is that even a phrase? Probably it shouldn't be, should it? If it is. <laughs> no. Uh, um, um, yeah, exactly. You, you're right then. Yeah, it's it's your 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 laid out bare. Is indeed. that an expression? I don't know. We're we're really going into difficult territory here with these expressions. <laughs> we are. Let's for, just forget expressions. I'm going before we talk about that. I'm going to ask you. Um, what your if you have a favourite poem in your collection, and because I have a favourite chapter and paragraphs and stuff like that, so I'm sure you have a favourite poem. And would you be kind enough to read us one? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I yeah, I guess what I could do is I, I, I'd probably like to start with the first poem because that was the first. I, the reason it's the first poem is because it was the first poem that was accepted, the one that I told you about. Because for me, that was really. A turning point, and um, and that, I guess that's why it's kind of my favourite for that that reason. Um, and I guess I should say just quickly before I read anything from this book that this book is I, I've obviously travelled around a lot. I've lived in different places, um, and I think the the general theme for my collection is about um, a longing for for a home or a place to call home, or what thinking about what home really is because. 
when you've picked it up and moved it around enough times, you do start to question that, you know, and and, and what you're doing and where you are. Um, you've, put, you've put me in the mood for uh, putting my hand on my chin and getting all serious while I listen to this poem. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I, I'm just going to have to try and ignore you now because remember what we said earlier, I need to be very serious about this and not look at your face because your face, oh, yeah, you know what happens when I look at your face. Um, so this poem is called Mirrored Belly of the Sea. Um, and yes, I will just, I'll read it. I won't say any more about it. Mirrored belly of the sea. <laughs> I'm going to do this. I'm just going to laugh. You shouldn't have said that you were going to put your hand on your chinny. And... I've removed my hand for like anyone who's watching the video of this. And I mean, God help you if you are. But, um, <laughs> and, and well done for getting this far. But uh, yeah. my, my, I've removed my hand from my chin. I'm just, I'm just sitting and listening like everyone who's listening to both the audio and the video. Go for it. Good. Mirrored belly of the sea. Last night when you were driftwood, all drenched in sleep, but weathering the stormy seas as usual by my side, I dreamt that I was drowning. From high beyond the surface, streaks of sun cut through the up above and pierced right into me like golden arrows. You slept on. The mirrored belly of the sea revealed a locker full of trinkets lost to time, silhouettes of ships and pillars collected round my flailing form. Yet as the depths rose up to wrap their inky trails around my useless arms and legs to draw me down, I woke and found my driftwood floating there, asleep above the waves. And as with every other time I'd drowned before, I reached for you and held on tight. You always glide serene upon the endless ebb and flow of days, while the current slowly pulls me under, and I am doomed to thrash my life away just to keep breathing. That is beautiful, man. <laughs> That's great. Thank you very much for that, Don. A live poetry on a podcast. I mean, we we are stretching the boundaries right here, right now. <laughs> it's groundbreaking. It is groundbreaking. So, do you have a specific editing process? Because I, when I am, um, I, I, for example, I always edit on paper. Generally, I said this last week, but I like to if I'm if I've written something, if it's just a chapter or more, or sometimes less. If it's a chunk of work that I really want to kind of get my red pen out to, then I'll generally print it out. Do you have a specific way of editing your poetry? Um, I really don't, actually, because um, I find that some poems just come really, really quickly and I just get them all out onto the page and then I leave it and then I work on them. And some poems are painstaking. I mean, you feel like you've got the, the, the idea of it or you maybe have got a verse or you've got you know, the first half of a poem or the last half, but it takes a lot of work to put it into a finished form. Um, so it really depends um, on the poem. And um, I, I had this uh, a fantastic workshop that I did with a poet called Paula Meehan. Um, and she's, she's a really, really great poet. But she was fantastic about just making you focus in poetry on the words. Like, if you are going to describe something, is that the word that you really want to use there? And back at the start, that was something that I didn't really, you know, I wasn't focusing enough on if that was actually the right word and whether that word even needed to be there at all. Um, so 
a lot of the editing of this poetry is really just I end up cutting stuff out, you know, or tweaking, tweaking tiny little bits here and there. Um, yeah, so it, it really depends on a poem by poem basis. I guess that makes sense because every new new piece, I suppose, is is um, its own thing. So you may approach it in a different way. Is that right? It is, yeah. And you know, I, I've a lot of the, obviously there's a difference between kind of you know just writing free verse and writing formal poetry in in, in you know a structured style. And um, I did poems, you know, like there's types of poems called villanelles and things like that, and I'd written them. And some of them I just felt like they they were there were nice experiences to attempt to write that, but actually they work better as free verse. And so I went back to them later and I picked out bits from them and I just wrote free verse poems from them. Um, and uh, so that's, yeah, it's been an interesting process actually looking at whether the actual form of the poem is, is right for the subject and the, and the context. Um, so, yeah. Okay. And so how did you go from, um, how did you go from sending individual um, poems off to be well, submitting them to magazines and journals and stuff to uh, submitting a full collection. When did you feel ready? How many poems did you feel that you needed to have? How did you decide which publishers to send it to? That kind of thing. Well, again, it was, it, I just kind of lucked out in that sense that I had, there are not many, um, <laughs> I'm going to tell everybody what you're doing. You're telling me that I'm banging my hands and I need to stop banging my hands. <laughs> oh no, I can't hear you, Ian. Um, I, um, yes, I had shortlisted some poetry presses um, that, that specifically publish poetry because there aren't that many um, uh, out there compared to obviously publishers that uh, publish fiction. Um, and I was starting to prepare a collection to send out on submission. But um, but as it happened, I was selected to be a featured poet in a literary journal. Um, and I had six poems published, um, which probably gave, you know, a, a better sense of, of what I was doing in general and what stage of my poetry, what stage of my poetry was at. Um, and, um, and in the bio I'd written that I, I had my first collection, I was working on my first collection, and I was contacted by an editor who was interested in publishing the collection. So I put the manuscript together for them and, um, and sent that off to them, and they said they were interested. Um, the, the process, that from there on, it was a, quite a long process, actually, um, you know, I didn't hear for a while and I had time to work on it in between and I was still tweaking the collection through that whole process um, and editing editing it right the way through as well. So so I was very lucky. I didn't end up sending it out to publishers, is the answer. Right, okay, so you didn't go through that process. That, and, and is that typical for poetry, to, to, to for a poetry collection to find the right person in that way or is it was it partly down to circumstance the fact that you were kind of ingrained to some degree in um, kind of the scene in in Ireland at the time I think that's a real major factor um I for example I was doing a reading at the Cork Literary Festival uh, the Cork Poetry Festival sorry it's called it's not not literary in general it's a poetry festival um and Neil Astley the um who runs Blood Axe, book, Blood Axe Books over in the UK. That's an amazing publisher. He was at the reading. Um, and when that kind of thing happens, you think, okay, this is people are out there looking for poets, you know, and they are really listening to what's being done at the moment. And 
this this is what happens if you can get yourself out there and you can get heard with poetry and you can get published and, and seen in particular places then you're already building up contacts and and um you know making your own little trail your your own published trail and i think that's really really vital with poetry um i'd say people do send off submissions and, and to for whole collections and get them accepted if they're lucky um but um i'm i'm quite sure that it actually you know performing and sending out journals plays a big part in it it's about getting yourself out of there isn't it i mean it's it's i did the same same thing really i've um i i found my agent through through recommendation and and it's, you just have to get your name out there as much as you possibly can even before you're published which is why people always recommend having a platform and blogging and podcasts and that kind of thing um because it's about it's about being in a position when an opportunity arises that you can actually either already be known by the person that you're contacting or or meeting at an event or something like that or um or or you've or you've got somewhere to point them and say hey look at all these things that I do or 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 have done yeah. um okay so um how about the public, the the state of poetry in general i realize it's quite a quite a big question to ask and probably unfair to talk talk about this on the the day slash pre day pre day that your book comes out. We're I'm just not gonna give up now. I'm not even gonna bother trying to publicise it. <laughs> no one really buys poetry, do they? <laughs> to be brutally honest, no they don't. Um and people sit banging their heads and wondering why, but as somebody who buys poetry, I my own take on it is that, you know, I have there is a lot of different types of poetry out there. I read poetry that I adore and I read poetry that I'm just like, I can appreciate that that's great poetry, but it's really not my kind of poetry. Um, and I think it's, you know, if you're going to go out and buy a book and you don't like books about, you know, if you don't like crimmies or you don't like, you know, I don't know, chiclet, then you're just not even going to go to that section. You're just going to go to whatever else you want. You know, you know what you like. Um, and with poetry, I think that people... Well, when I was at school, we all learned about, you know, the classics and all, all the biggies and all that kind of stuff. And people just, I remember, you just feel like you're being dragged through it on your face. And, you know, it's quite painful learning about poetry at school. Um, I know that it's changed a lot now because I've got a sister who's a lot younger. And, you know, they were doing all sorts of contemporary poets. And that seemed much, much cooler um, to get a balance, you know, classic stuff, but also what's going on now. Um, but for me, and I guess people my age and older, I reckon that a lot of people have been put off poetry because they think it's all about, you know, uh, just wandering around in England looking at daffodils and stuff. It's never made much sense to me why poetry uh, sells so badly and is apparently in continuous decline. I'm sure it can't be. If, if it was in, if it was really in decline for as long as it's supposed to have been in decline, there would be like minus poetry by now. Um, <laughs> but it's never really made much sense to me because I can understand why someone wouldn't want to read a... When I say someone, I mean someone who isn't necessarily extremely like a literary uh, reader, just someone who's, um, you know, kind of a casual reader, that's the phrase. Um, mm. A 600-word novel, a page novel. 600-word novel will be fine, they'll read that very quickly. <laughs> um, but I can, you know, bite-sized poetry... I mean, it doesn't have to all, you know. Why, why is it? Why is it not more popular? Is it? The, is it because it's not marketed properly? Um, why? Well, I, think, 
another thing is is that you know you could enjoy a a, a poet's work, um, but a poet might have written lots of different types of poems. And if they do a reading of a few poems, I guess you have to really love all of the poems before you'd actually say, I want to buy that collection. I want to find out more about that poet in general. Um, yeah, I mean, if I think about the poetry I've bought, the books that I've bought, I have bought all of the, the big classics, so, you know, all the big names, the big hitters. I've also bought people that I I know or that I've seen reading. Um but I'm not actually sure if I've ever been to a reading of someone I didn't know hmm, and just gone out and, and bought it. But yeah, anyway. And actually, I was reading uh, this week a blog post on the Bibliophilic Blogger, um, which said, well, they questioned whether any amount of tweeting or uh, marketing in the world would sell more poetry books. But they actually said we'd get poetry books up into four figures of sales. And that was that was like that was such a shock. It was like, wow, yeah. You really don't sell a lot of poetry books when you've got one out, but um, but they do sell, and uh, I think actually anthologies are, are really the thing which is keeping poetry publishing alive. But it's not all bad because people do buy poetry books, and hopefully some people will buy my poetry book, Dream Country, <laughs> <laughs> out now. <laughs> For all you listening to the audio, that she's quite clearly, as I'm sure you know, is now waving the book in front of the camera. Of Thank you very much for sharing your story with us, Donna. Um, oh, thanks for having me to share it. That's all right. You're here every week. Tell us, <laughs> um, tell us uh, where the heck we can order Dream Country from. Well, I reckon it'd be a good idea to go onto my publisher's website to get it. Um, my publisher is New Island Books, and the website is newisland.ie. And you can get it on there. Um, and uh, they're going to be sending me some copies to sign. And I'm going to send them back. And then there'll be signed copies too. Well, that's a really... I mean, if, if the, that's the publishing industry all over, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is. But what other way around it could we, could we get, you know? I mean, I live on the other side of the continent. Well, uh, Margaret Atwood famously used um, um, a really long pen that went over from Canada to the UK. That's not true. <laughs> It was a dig- <laughs> it was a digital signature that she used, and she signed lots of books. I don't know how it worked, but um, yeah, you could do that. God, can they have got Margaret over on the plane? She's pretty big news. I think that she was just busy. <laughs> okay, <laughs> too busy. So we get uh, to the New Island Books uh, IE website. No, just New Island IE. Yeah. Okay, don't go to New Island Books because that's a different website altogether. It may not be what you expected, um, and. When you do that, uh, go to Donna's book, Donna Sorensen and Dream Country. So uh, check it out. And huge congratulations again. And uh, hopefully you can share your, uh, just share how it goes. And it it will inform, um, I guess, future podcast episodes, which would be nice. Lovely. Yeah, thank you very much. And um, thanks, everyone, for listening. It does make me feel nice. (laughs) What? (laughs) Um, Fine. Um, Okay, I also feel quite nice when people listen. But it's true, though, isn't it? You know, the fact that, you know, you have the chance to to tell people about something you've made and created and it's in the world and it exists. It's true. Everyone's shouting about stuff they've made these days, aren't they? But it's nice to to talk about it in a considered way, isn't it? It is, yes. Thanks. I will do my best not to just shout with the rest of the noise. Ah, it's all right. Everyone does it. No problem. (laughs) So uh, where can people find you online? Twitter? Twitter. The flight... Yes, The Flying Poet, at The Flying Poet. 
And if you want to find me on Twitter, I am Ian Broom, at Ian Broom, I-A-I-N-B-R-O-O-M-E, or you can find me um, on uh, the website, ianbroom.com. And if you want previous episodes of this podcast, so all audio versions, um, it is ianbroom.com forward slash podcast, or of course you can go to the 70 Decibels website where you can find previous episodes there too, because 70 Decibels is the network which this podcast is a part of. And for those who are watching on video, I am wearing my 70 decibels t-shirt. Indeed. So that's it. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. And we shall probably just speak to you next week. I'm not sure we'll actually see you. Oh, yeah. And everyone will be grateful for, yeah, just to hear us. Thank you. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a very dramatic exit. I enjoyed it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)